Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hello, everybody. Christopher and I are here with you again. Today, when we're recording, is a special day for us because it's the 26th anniversary of the day that we got engaged, and that's a happy memory for Very us. Very happy memory. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a gray hair on our head. No, not then. <laughs> We've changed. We've grown. You were 22 years old. I was. I was 25. Mm-hmm. Youngins. <laughs> we didn't think so then. No, we thought we were all grown up and stuff. <laughs> that's right. Is that a word, grown up? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to remember, and... Uh, Christopher was saying to me today, he thanked me for saying yes, uh, to which I replied, of course, thank you for asking. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Best decision I ever made in my life to propose to you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for asking and thank you for the Lord's guidance. What do you remember about that day? I remember that I didn't know you were going to propose and that when I met you in the morning, your face. Yeah, we just met that day. No, no. <laughs> That's what it sounded like when for I a minute. When I came and saw you that morning, your face was kind of glowing. <laughs> it was like as if there was Holy Spirit fire coming out of you or something. It was yeah. impressive. Pretty special. <laughs> I remember my heart was pounding oh, yeah. in my chest. I think I was wearing a white shirt mm-hmm. and I could almost like see my chest yeah. pounding out of it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Pretty dang awesome. Pretty <laughs> dang exciting, as Nacho Libre would say. That's right. Thank you, lover, truly, for saying yes to me. Mm-hmm. These 20, well, 25 and a half years of marriage and mm-hmm. 26 years since we got engaged have been joyful years, challenging years, exciting years, hopeful years. So much has come, and you never know. How could you possibly know what, what lies ahead of you? Mm-hmm. You can't possibly know. I thank you for that wide open yes you gave that mm-hmm. day and for the yes you've given to me every day since. Thank you, love. You're welcome. You want to share anything going on with the TUB Institute right now? Yeah, we actually have a pretty cool thing coming. For our patron community, we are offering a retreat on May 22nd uh, with Jason Everett and Bill Dunahy. Everybody out there probably knows the work of Jason Everett. Bill Dunahy is a colleague of mine at the Theology of the Body Institute. They're going to be giving a retreat on Eucharistic spirituality, how to grow in a deeper appreciation of the Eucharist, and how the Theology of the Body shines a bright light on the Eucharist. I mean, hello, the source and summit of everything we believe as Catholics is the body of Christ given up for us. Mm, Amen. And theology of the body is really theology of the Eucharist. That's that's the culminating mm. mystery of theology of the body, culminating mystery of our faith. So Jason Everett, Bill Dunahy, they're going to be diving into that in a retreat for our patrons. You have to be part of our patron community to have access to that retreat, and that's $10 a month is what we ask to be part of our patron community. Of course, full disclosure, if you want to, you can just pay $10 for one month if you want to be part of that retreat. And then you can cancel the next day and just get that retreat for 10 bucks. I'm not suggesting 
You should do that, but I'm just saying you could do that if you wanted to. But we would welcome your patronage. Your $10 a month goes to supporting the work we do, uh, paying our staff, our office space, and expanding our reach so that we can do this ministry. Our patrons are really indispensable. We, we couldn't do this ministry mm. without our patrons. So we're so grateful to you, all you patrons out there. And one of the ways we show gratitude to our patrons is patrons get first dibs on questions on our podcast. True. So how about that for transition? Should That's we go right good. to question, question number one from yes. our patron? I do have a question from a patron. All this right. is anonymous. Thank uh, you, anonymous patron, for your support. We're so grateful. Thank you for your podcast. I listen to your podcast weekly while I go on a run, and it makes the miles fly by. Well, that's fun. My fiancé and I are getting married very soon. Congratulations. We have both saved sex for marriage. However, there is a history of pornography use before we were dating. What advice do you have for us to have a pure, holy, and lust-free experience? We've both read about Theology of the Body, and we listen to your podcast, but knowing and living can be very different. That is true. Very true. I am zoomed back in light of this question. I am zoomed back to a time a few weeks before you and I got married, Wendy. Mm -hmm. And we, by God's grace, we had saved sex for marriage. Uh, I had been sexually active as a teenager, uh, but you and I saved sex for marriage. But I was concerned about my past, and I was concerned about the pornography I had been exposed to as mm -hmm. a teenager as well. At this point, when we were getting married, I hadn't been exposed to pornography for probably six or seven years. But those images get ingrained in the mind and the heart, so I, I very much relate to this concern. There I was three weeks before our wedding, and I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and I, I just said, Lord, I want to be a pure gift to my wife. I want to be a holy gift to my wife. And I'm concerned. There's, there's, there are images, there are memories, uh, the, uh, diseased images, diseased, painful experiences that I don't want to bring with me. What, what can I do, Lord? How, how can I be this pure gift to my wife? And I remember kind of a, a, a moment in that prayer where the Lord said something like, okay, let's, let's do it. Put your money where your mouth is. I had already been teaching theology of the body. I had already been teaching about the, the redemption of our sexuality, how behind every twisted image there's a beautiful truth that has gotten twisted up. And it was kind of, just as I said, a, a kind of put your money where your mouth is and, and enter in. And I, I felt led, I, I want to say this very clearly, I felt led to do this, like the Holy Spirit was moving me here. I would mm -hmm. not suggest anyone do this on your own, with kind of your own willpower. I'm going to go in there to those diseased images and memories and untwist them on my own. We can't untwist them on our own. Right. It'll just lead to a, a deeper kind of falling into the twisted idea if we try to do this on our own. But if you feel led truly, the Lord is leading you in this direction. This is what happened to me. There was an invitation to go back to every single diseased idea, memory, image, that I had ever exposed myself to, and one by one, give them to the Lord, 
and let him untwist the lie that got twisted up and show me the truth behind it. And that's what I did. You know, there's a kind of catalog of those images that get ingrained in our mind. And I went back by the, with, I really believe, with the Spirit's leading. And just said, yes, Lord, I remember this first time I was exposed to pornography. I give you that twisted lie. I ask you please to untwist it and show me the truth. And one by one, I went through all of these images, all of these memories. And, and I kind of began to see them going into the, the, the tabernacle, where redemption is, where the body of Christ is, where, where Christ, uh, his body and blood, soul and divinity, the fullness of our redemption, uh, the fullness of, of the work of grace that happened on the cross and in the resurrection, the, those images were getting crucified, if you will, and they were kind of like going up in a fire. And one by one, I was throwing these images into the fire mm. that was in the tabernacle. And as I surrendered that final image, and it took a long time, I was there for a good long while going through the catalog. And when I surrendered that last image, I will never forget what I saw. I saw an image of the Christ child at the breast of the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. And it was a holy, sacred moment that the Lord was speaking to me, this is what you were looking for the whole time. This is the truth. This is the beauty of woman's body that you were yearning for. Mm. You were yearning to be fed by Mary. And just as I was fed by Mary, you are called to be fed by Mary. When we don't believe our true hungers can be fed in a holy, sacred way, we take those hungers elsewhere. That's the very nature of sin. And I know I've shared this on the podcast before. It might have been even in a recent episode, I seem to remember sharing this. My professor and a mentor of mine for many years, the late Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, uh, was keen on saying that every temptation, not just sexual temptations, but every temptation boils down to one temptation. It's the temptation to believe that the satisfaction of the deepest desires of our hearts is totally up to us. Mm. When we don't believe that God wants to satisfy our desires in healthy, holy ways. We're going to take those desires to unhealthy and unholy things and take satisfaction into our own hands. That's what I did as a teenager. And the whole purpose of that image that came to me in prayer was the Lord saying, behold your mother, behold your mother. She wants to feed you. She is the feminine mystery you you have longed for. Uh, come here, come here and drink, drink deeply. This is right out of the Scripture. The first pope, St. Peter, says, we are to desire pure spiritual milk. Uh, Earnestly, we are to yearn for it, pine for it, pure spiritual milk. Well, Well, where does our pure spiritual milk, where does that pure spiritual milk come from? It comes from our pure spiritual mama, it comes from Mary. And years later, now that was, that was 1995 when I had that experience. Yes. Years later, probably 20 or more years later, that image came up to me again. But this time I realized I was working through other deeper healings that I needed. And I realized this time that I was the child. I was the child at at Mary's breast. 
and that that took it to a whole new level because mm -hmm. we are we are all through our baptism we are other Christs so that's that's an experience that I had that brought peace to me I, I was struck also by something this questioner said how can we have a a, a lust free yeah experience well <laughs> lust free is reserved for eternity in in the true sense of the term lust free right in this life we'll always recognize wheat and weeds growing together and i know that's an expression i've used on this podcast many times it's a a very important truth i wish uh, I, I, I wish I could say, here's the path to, to be lust-free. I mean, we don't have to, when I, and when I say lust-free, I mean there's not even a trace of lust in our, our hearts. That's the experience that's reserved for heaven. We can, as we grow in holiness, gain mastery over disordered desires, and they don't need to hold sway in our hearts. However, we will always recognize that there is a pool in, in the wrong direction in our hearts. Thank God, by His grace, we can resist it. We don't have to go down that path. But the goal here is not to... We can't, because we can't in this life. We cannot rid ourselves of the pull of... The fancy word here is concupiscence. And concupiscence refers to our disordered desires. We don't have to act on concupiscence. And the grace of marriage is a remedy for concupiscence. It can heal us. But we'll, don't be surprised, uh, you will experience a battle. There's a, there's a tug of war in our hearts between love and lust. And that tug of war never ceases entirely in this life. So I just want to hold that out. Uh, we don't want to give false expectations that there's some, here, do this, read Theology of the Body ten times, then say these prayers, and all of a sudden you'll no longer experience the pull of concupiscence in your life. That's not, that's mm -hmm. not reality. Yeah, I am so grateful for you going through those, um, just that purifying prayer experience. It takes courage to go through that with the Lord. Um, and I, I benefit so much from your just desire to be ever purified. And um, so thank you for that. And I know that many of our listeners are encouraged to hear that. Just It's yes. just hopeful. Um, and I just had another thought about kind of that, as the uh, patron mentioned, you know, there's been some exposure to pornography in the past. And I think all of us, you know, can't avoid idealized images of human bodies and sex appeal being connected to a certain perfection. Yes. Um, perfection. Certain of, sense of perfection. The sense of perfection yeah. that we're, is being promoted in in the world. Even if we never looked at actual pornography, there's elements of that in. It's the wallpaper movies, of our culture. Yeah. In advertising, you know, and just images that are around us all the time. And so, I feel like a helpful thing to prepare for marriage is to just to open that up to the Lord and just to realize that a real human exchange of love in marriage is about a real person whose imperfections, if they are, you know, if you're going to call them that, in other words, not being exactly like these ideals, 
reveal a real person to yes, us, a yes, real yes. person whose love is a gift to us, who we are blessed to be called to love. Um, and so to recognize that in our marital union, we are going to experience our humanness, yes, our yes. imperfection, just our bodily-ness is going to be quite apparent and it isn't going to match those That's right. super idealized images that we've, you know, received just because it's all around us. And, and can I add just there mm -hmm. that the, the lie in those hyper idealized images is that you're not lovable if you don't look like this. Right. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Well, and in fact, the very variation from that is what reveals the real person, the real person. to Amen. us that our heart it, is it. drawn to yes, love. Yes, yes, And so, you know, if that can be your prayer together, that you would recognize more deeply the real person that God has chosen to give as a gift to you um, through any way that your experience doesn't match what, you know, has been shown to you let every difference be a gift and a joy that you're seeing mm. god's love the twinkle in his eye of saying i here i have given you as a gift here i've given this gift to you and to know his joy rejoicing as you give that gift to one another i'm deeply moved wendy by what you're saying because of our own history here i think the the real wound of pornography in my life, uh, again, I was exposed to pornography as a, as a kid. I think I first saw it when I was six or seven years old. And then there was a pretty steady dose of it in my teenage years. And thanks be to God, I, I mean, I, I, the images are still around in the culture, but by God's grace, it's not, it's not an issue I've struggled with as an adult. Thanks be to God. And I praise you, Lord, for that freedom you've brought into my life. But it had the wound that I brought in my heart to our marriage was was just what you're describing, that I had these idealized images of what I was supposed to look like, what you're supposed to look like, what mm. what our union was supposed to be, and it wasn't. And and working through all that has has been uh, painful. It's been painful to see how the the lies had 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 really warped the way I see you. They prevented me from seeing your true, unique beauty expressed through your body. Um, and I just want to hold out to listeners out there. I know I'm not the only one who has experienced that. And I want to say the journey of healing will take you on an archaeological dig into your soul <laughs> that goes deeper than you realize. And at every stage of life, there's need to go deeper. We can never say we've arrived. We can never say, now I'm healed 100%. We can say we're, we're, we're growing, we're healing. Uh, I don't like the idea of healed in the past tense because there's always more. There's mm -hmm. always more. And I just want to say it is worth it keep going on the journey of inner purification. It's the journey of coming to see real human beings as God sees real human beings with love. And I, I want to add here too uh, uh, an insight from John Paul II. I think I shared this also in a, another podcast, but it's worth repeating. 
I'm, we're working on a retreat at the Theology of the Body Institute. Uh, we're working on publishing a retreat at the Theology of the Body Institute. We're going to release it on John Paul II's feast day, October 22nd, this year, 2021. And it's a retreat that Carol Wojtyla gave to artists in 1962. And in that, he shares the memory uh, as a young priest of going to the Diocletian Baths in Rome, where there's all this Greek art, Greek sculpture Mm -hmm. of the idealized human nude, right? And he says, I studied these sculptures intently, and it took great effort, he said, but I came to understand the gospel anew through this pagan art, and I came to understand it deeper. And he said, I was, I was trying to understand what are they looking for in these idealized images of the human body, right? They didn't have photography back then. They didn't have computers to alter images back then, but they had sculpture. And in these sculptures of these idealized human bodies, he said, I came to realize they were looking for perfect beauty manifested in the body, and that this is exactly what the gospel proclaims. That beauty itself, perfect beauty, divine beauty, has taken flesh to reveal in and through the human body the mystery of perfect beauty. And, and, and this, we have to allow ourselves to be confronted with the beauty that is revealed in the crucified and risen Christ and his body. And we could also add here, because the feminine element always belongs beside the masculine element, the new Eve, Mary. We have the new Adam in Christ, and we have the new Eve in Mary. And she's immaculate. What does that mean? It means she's without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Mary is the most beautiful woman God ever created. And we have to allow that to challenge our understandings of beauty. And, and right at the heart of it is how agony and ecstasy go together. Right at the heart of it is the ugliness of the cross. Mm which brings about the greatest beauty ever, the Immaculate One, Mary. Christ gave himself up for the church so that she might be immaculate, so that she might be all beautiful, that she might be without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Let us allow the true beauty of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, and the true beauty of Mary, who had that sword of sorrow pierce her heart, and yet is now forever glorified bodily, let us let those images of beauty challenge and correct our false ideas and ideals about what beauty is and what beauty means. Mm. The healing there is that is needed is profound in all of us, and we ask you, Lord, lead us step by step in and through that healing. We give you the diseased images, we give you the false idealized sense of what beauty is supposed to be. Uh, help us to see beauty in and through. It's a paradox, but it's true. JP2 talks about this in this retreat that we'll be publishing later in the year. The beauty revealed through the ugliness of the cross. The beauty revealed through the ugliness of the cross. It will enable you to see beauty everywhere in everything, even especially in the things that the false sense of beauty that is taught to us by the culture just labels as ugly, and then it's dispensable, and and uh, just we get it, you know, swipe, you know, I don't like your nose, swipe on whatever those apps are, you know, when you just get to evaluate people on their looks, right? I don't like your nose, swipe, 
Uh, I don't like your your eyes or your chin. Swipe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a person. That's a person made in the image and likeness of God. And that person reveals something of the glory and beauty of God that you just swiped away. That person you just swiped away reveals something of the beauty and glory of God that no other human being has ever existed reveals. Lord, open our eyes to see as you see. That's the prayer. That's the cry of our hearts. Lord, open our eyes. We are blind. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. We want to see. Mm. We want to see. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from Madison. Hello, Madison. Madison says, Hi, Christopher and Wendy. I love your show. Listening to the way you two interact with each other is so life-giving. I started listening last year after attending the TOB virtual conference, and my goal is to listen to every episode. Here's my question. What light might Theology of the Body shed on healing from a breakup, especially if you're the one who made the choice to end it? Mm. I chose to end an almost three-year dating relationship. And while I believe what I did was best for myself and him in the long run, I find myself consistently racked with guilt and shame for how I've hurt my ex. Oh. I don't know how to let go of the fact that I've caused him a wound. And even though it's been almost a year, I haven't figured out how to forgive myself. Any advice? Oh, bless you, Madison. Bless you. Uh, I know you have some light to shine here, Wendy, because you broke up with a boyfriend and you went through some of that guilt as well. Uh, but I'll, I'll share a few thoughts first and then you can share what, whatever you want to share. Mm. I'm now 31 years out uh, from, yeah, almost 31 years out from a, a painful breakup. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was painful. And it was, it was the right thing. And she broke up with me after four years of dating. And it was the right thing. Mm. She, she was right to break up with me. It was right for her life. It was right for my life. And 31 years later, there's still stuff I need to look at there on occasion where I just have to say, Lord, that was, man, that was, that was rough. That was really painful. Uh, and I think that witnesses to the fact that we we know love is meant to be forever. And when we enter into those relationships and there is genuine love, and maybe there are also illicit bonds that were formed because of illicit sexual activity, that was the case in my situation, the the the, the tear is all the more painful when there's a bond created in that illicit activity. And I just want you to be tender with yourself, patient with yourself. The fact that you're having these feelings, Madison, the fact that you're going through it is not a sign that something's wrong with you. It's not a sign that, uh, gosh, if I were just more mature, I could get over this. No, it's, it's a sign that you are in touch with what the heart really yearns for. And the heart really yearns for a love that lasts forever. And when we fall in love and we build a relationship. And you said yours was three years long. So that, yeah, that's a significant amount of time where there was, there was a real bond there, a real closeness there. When that bond is torn, it, it does, it hurts. It does some damage to the heart. 
even if it is the right thing. And I think entrusting all of that pain to the Lord, entrusting that the Lord himself will bring great good out of it and will mold and shape you and will mold and shape him in and through that breakup in good ways, to entrust that to the Lord is an integral part of the path forward. But Wendy, I know with your firsthand experience as a woman going through something similar to what Madison went through, you have some some light to shine here too. So, mm, Yes. I certainly struggled even to break up with the boyfriend we're talking about because of the fear of causing him pain um, and even of causing his mother pain. I know she liked me too. <laughs> Didn't like that thought either. Um, but I, I did, I do it, you know, admire Madison for acting on what she sensed was God's will, you know, which takes a lot of courage and grace um, to discern that and to um, make that decision and communicate it and knowing that it will not probably not be good news or to the other person won't seem like, uh, you know, a happy thing. Uh, so that was a difficult and courageous thing, Madison. Um, and I certainly felt that too, you know, when I broke up with my boyfriend that, um, it was not, didn't, I didn't feel relief afterwards. I kind of felt just a lot of heavy pain at first and just felt like that was so hard. And yet I think the Lord used that in my life to, you know, have kind of, it was a maturing experience for me in terms of recognizing the call to live the truth can be hard and can be painful to everyone involved. And yet there's a higher good that we're called to serve. I think for me, there were a few years where the, the, remnants of things from that relationship were kind of in the background of my mind and occasionally in my prayer. And I had a really powerful experience in prayer a few years later where I was doing a prayer exercise where I wrote down significant experiences from my life and just kind of in chronological order. And that breakup was on the list. And then the next step in the prayer exercise was to recognize the Lord's hand in each of those significant times of your life. And so as I looked at that list, the breakup, I thought, oh, it just immediately felt like to me, I don't see God's hand there. It's just a painful thing. And so it caused me to take that memory to prayer. And um, as I did, as I asked the Lord to show me where was he in that experience, I had this kind of image in my prayer of almost like a uh, you know, like a construction machine, like a mm. front loader digging in the ground mm. and lifting me up wow. out of where I was and just moving me and setting me down in a totally different place. And I felt like the Lord said to me, I needed to take you from there and I needed to put you here. And it was like so freeing to see like all the pain of that. Well, you know, like a big machine digging in the ground is a little bit of a violent image in a way. It wasn't like a gentle, like a mother lifting a baby or something. Right. And yet that it, and it changes things. And yet the hopefulness of saying that was the Lord's intervention 
in my life and knowing by extension, it was also the Lord's intervention in his life kind of opened up the flow of grace for me and enabled me to um, contact my former boyfriend and, and ask him to forgive me for a few things that I hadn't been able to talk about with him. Um, and it was just a, a place of humility and just trust that the Lord would want to have grace enter into the memories that I had of things that I regretted. And there was such a freedom that came after that. But it was, all I can say is it was in the Lord's timing to, to reveal to me his action in our lives and um, enable that grace to just continue to flow and, and really bring freedom to me. And I hope to him as well. He's happily married now and serving the Lord in, in his life. So I thank him for that. And I thank you, Wendy, for having the courage to break up with him. <laughs> and I thank my old girlfriend for having the yes. courage to break up with mm -hmm. me. Look look how those decisions, that decision in your life and that decision in my old girlfriend's life, how that shaped our lives. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. So the Lord's hand is in all of it. Yeah. Bless you, Madison. Our next question is from a listener named Maria, who says that this year I attended Holy Thursday Mass for the first time wearing my, quote, T.O.B. glasses. <laughs> the Mass was so much richer. Whoop, 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 whoop. Then she asks, does the theology of the body tie into the washing of feet? Nope, nope. That's that's like, nope, doesn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for being such a you're silly goofball. Uh, wow, yes, Maria, you're yes, 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 yes. Of course, theology of the body, as you already suggested, and I do often, it's like a pair of glasses we put on, and every aspect of our faith, every aspect of our faith gets illuminated, mm. right? The feet. Feet are part of the body. Hello, hello. So what's going on? What can we learn from the washing of the feet from a theological perspective? Well, it's an image of service. It's an image of the humility of God. And let's look at that word, humility. It comes from hummus, uh, which means earth, soil. Mm -hmm. The humility of God is precisely that God, the God, the ultimate source of the universe through which everything lives and moves and has being, the God, the Almighty, the one who is pure spirit, who created the earth, enters it, humbles himself, literally humbles himself. In other words, takes on hummus, takes on humanity takes on, right? The, the, the biblical image is that we come out of the soil, right? We, we, mm -hmm. and it's not just a biblical image. It's, it's true. We're made up of the elements of the, the earth. And, uh, we are, we are talking, living, breathing hydrogen and oxygen and all kinds of other elements. Yeah. The God who created all the elements took them on that's humility. I was just reading this morning in a book I'm going through right now from Jacques Philippe, 
Father Jacques Philippe. If you don't know about Father Jacques Philippe, you need to know about Father Jacques Philippe. <laughs> he has this collection of, gosh, I've probably read 10 or more of these little volumes. And the one I'm reading right now is called uh, The Eight Doors um, to Enter the Kingdom or something like that. It's about the Beatitudes, the Eight mm -hmm. Beatitudes. And he's talking about poverty of spirit and how it's related to humility. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will inherit the kingdom. The kingdom of God is theirs, right? Um, and he says that from one perspective, only God can really humble himself because he lowers himself to the level of the creature. We are creatures already. We can't lower ourselves to the level of creature. Mm. Our, our humbling comes from the fact that we've raised ourselves higher than the creature with original sin. Right? So for us, humility is a return to where we're meant to be. Mm. For God, humility is a descent from, from the heights to the lows. Mm. Uh, another way of looking at the same thing is, is that scripture, he who was rich became poor so that we who are poor could become rich. So we see in the one who is rich becoming poor how low he stoops. He stoops to the level of the servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. Well, that's the call of Christian love, and Christian love is the call of marriage. And that call to love in that way, to, to lay down our lives, even unto death, to put ourselves in the lowest place, to be raised to the highest place, that all of that is revealed in and through our bodies. Our bodies reveal the call to love. A man's body makes no sense by itself. A woman's body makes no sense by itself. Seen in light of each other, unless we're blind, and that's the problem in the modern world, we are blind. Yeah. We look, but we do not see that male and female are designed for one another to become a life-giving gift. And even there in that life-giving gift, there's this reminder of death. Right? It was offspring in the Jewish mind that, that was the, the sign of that the bloodline is meant to go on forever, that we're meant to live forever. How do we live forever? By having offspring. Right? That's not just common to a biblical uh, view. In fact, the Bible eventually corrects that view in saying that in the resurrection we're no longer given in marriage. But uh, that's an aside. What I wanted to say is that's a common view in, in cultures across the world, that eternal life, the way you, you continue living is through your offspring. So there is this connection that every culture on planet Earth has recognized. It's, it's a kind of deep intuition in the human heart that having children, sexual union, offspring, is somehow connected with death. And Jesus says, unless the seed go into the ground and die, it just remains a seed. But if it goes and dies, it bears abundant fruit, right? New life. All of this is revealed through the theology of our bodies. The Catechism, in speaking about the, the rite of Christian burial, says that we place the body in the ground like a seed, mm. trusting that that seed will bear eternal fruit in the resurrection. So the theology of the body is ultimately all about death and resurrection. It's all about that call to love, 
First, we love with our bodies. That's that washing of the feet, right? The, the lowering ourselves. That lowering ourselves in love, the ultimate act of love that we can offer is to die. To die in love. To die for love. To die in love for others. To lay down our lives for others. So all of these things are intertwined. There is a humiliation of the body in returning to dust. Literal humiliation, returning to dust, returning to hummus. But in returning to hummus, that humiliation, the promise is glorification. So again, to sum it up, the, the call to love is revealed in our bodies. The call to love is fulfilled in Jesus, lowering himself to wash the feet, which is a foreshadowing of the ultimate gift of service, which is his death on the cross and his burial in the ground. And what happens three days later? Boom! Out comes a resurrected body in the garden, a new garden on the eighth day, the first day of a new creation. Our bodies reveal it all. Lord, open our eyes to how our bodies reveal who you are, who we are, what it really means to be human, how our bodies reveal that we are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable, and how our bodies reveal that we are called to become what we are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.